Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. WUSF's podcast, The Zest, celebrates the intersection of food and Florida. Season four just premiered, so we thought it would be a good time to check in with host Dalia Colon. Here it is. It's 2021. You've got this new season of The Zest. Restaurants have been dealing with the impact of COVID for over a year now. As you have started working on this season of The Zest, how have you found restaurants adapting to this new reality? We've been in this pandemic for over a year now. So restaurants are more than capable of pivoting again and again. I think one trend that will continue is ghost kitchens, which uh, the blogger Ricky Lee of Tasty Chomps talked a little bit about in my interview with him last season. He was kind of uh, prescient in his comments because he's absolutely right. Ghost kitchens are a trend that are not going away. And for those who don't know, that's a restaurant without a dining room. So it's delivery or takeout only. And it's inexpensive. It's safe because no one's eating in the dining room. It's a great way for up and coming chefs to get their food out there without having to pay big bucks for staff and uh, dining room space. I interviewed Michelle and Jennifer Kaminsky, who are two Korean American sisters who have a restaurant in Miami called Two Korean Girls. That's a very popular ghost kitchen. And Alan Susser, who's a James Beard award-winning chef, who has also been on The Zest, is a mentor of theirs. And he's he's kind of one of the elder statesmen of the Florida food scene. And he says this is they've got their their finger on it, on the, the future of the restaurant industry. So that's a good sign. Um, another trend that we're seeing is mental health, which is not unique to the restaurant industry by any means, but it's a lot easier to talk about mental health now, I think, because of the pandemic, because of uh, the death by suicide of Anthony Bourdain. And there was just a documentary put out about him. So this season, I'll be speaking with Chef Greg Baker, who's a Tampa Bay chef, who's been very vocal about um, mental health in the hospitality industry. And then, of course, people are continuing to cook at home. Some people still don't want to go out to a restaurant, or maybe they did more cooking at home and they just feel more comfortable. So we also have a conversation with Wendy Wesley, who's a registered nutritionist and dietitian in St. Petersburg. I always love having her on. She gives the greatest, most practical tips. And we talked to her about what she calls intuitive cooking, which is no recipe recipes. If you're someone who's afraid to deviate from a recipe, she gives us some general guidelines for how we can cook at home, which is, of course, less expensive, usually healthier. And then it just builds your confidence to be able to cook without a recipe. So, so those are some of the trends that we're seeing in the food industry that I think will stick around for a while. Overall, how the, the, the restaurant folks in particular that you've talked to, just how are they feeling about the state of their business? right now, especially this moment as as, uh, as COVID cases are rising in Florida and maybe people aren't going to be going out to eat so much? Yeah, I think it's a tough time right now. To be honest, I try to speak with established restaurants because I don't want to talk to someone on a Monday 
and the podcast airs on a Thursday and they've already gone out of business. So the people I'm talking to are in a good position to weather the storm. And I think they're just realizing, I mean, you and I are having this conversation right now over the internet, right? We're not sitting in the studio together. Journalists have learned to adapt. I think every industry, education, hospitality, you name it, has learned to adapt and restaurants are no different. I mean, restaurants have been changing their menus forever. Or, you know, somebody calls in sick and somebody has to sub on the dishwashing station or whatever. I think they're they're just, it's in their blood to pivot and um, they're optimistic. So let's get into some of the, the episodes that are coming up in the season of The Zest. And the first episode, uh, you talk with AJ Wolf. And AJ is owner and executive editor of something called the Disney Food Blog. Now, when I think of Disney, I don't necessarily think of food, although there's plenty of food to be had at Disney parks and around uh, Walt Disney World and Orlando. But how does, uh, what, what's AJ's take on, on, on Disney food? Oh, I just love talking to her. And I bet a lot of uh, people were yelling at their radios or their podcast players when you said that you don't think of food when you think of Disney, because there are some serious Disney foodies. I know people who go to Disney without kids just to enjoy the restaurants. It really does have some of the best restaurants in Florida and possibly in the entire country. So AJ Wolf uh, runs a media company, and the best known brand of that company is Disney Food Blog, which she started in 2009. And back then, People were just, it seems like a lifetime ago, but people were just starting to really take pictures with their smartphones. And those phones and those sort of niche websites turned us all into food critics if we wanted to be. So you could eat a hot dog and post a picture of it and you could tell your friends what you thought about it. So um, she was on the cutting edge of that trend and she has uh, just scores of Instagram followers and and YouTube subscribers. Um, she's not officially affiliated with Disney, so she can tell you what she actually thinks. It's like having a friend who goes to Disney all the time and gives you the real deal. She's not afraid to tell you if she doesn't like something, throw a restaurant under the bus if she hates it. But it's more about telling you which experiences are for which customers. Disney is not stupid. Everything they do is for a reason. So there's a dinosaur restaurant at Disney. Uh, my five-year-old son would love it. But if you're going out on a date with your significant other, you probably don't want to go to that dinosaur restaurant, you know? So she's just helping us uh, figure out who each restaurant is for. But what I love about her is she can tell you all the alternatives. You know, those those uh, websites and magazines that say, if you like this, try that. So AJ Wolf, when I spoke to her, it was so clear why her platform is so popular because she's just telling it like it is. And she's based in Dallas between Disney World and Disneyland because she covers them equally as well as Disney cruises, even food and Disney movies. Um, and Disney is something that our audience never gets tired of hearing about. So I'm, I apologize to all the Disney annual pass holders who are listening to this conversation, who heard me disparage Disney food. I'll make the trip up I-4 soon enough to, uh, to sample the wares there. But here's a little bit of your conversation with AJ. Okay, let's talk about some of those mistakes that people make and how to yeah. avoid them. Eating bad yeah. food. I don't want to like throw any, any Disney restaurants under the bus, but like what's something that you think is overrated at Disney World? Um, well, something that I always kind of talk about as being a one and done is eating in the castle. I think everybody should do it one time. 
but it's going to set you back for a family of four. It's going to set you back 200 bucks plus, you know, that's just incredibly expensive. The food is not all that great. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to someone's wedding, it's like banquet food, you know, like, rubber um, skin. but within the yeah, yeah. castle. I mean, they do, they do a decent job. It's a little better than rubber chicken and they're getting better over the years. They've been getting better, but it's just, you know, it's so mass produced because they turn those tables over so quickly in the castle. They want to get as many people through there as they can. So you get that sense that this is just like, they just line up those plates and there's not a lot of unique thought going into each one of those plates and you're spending a lot of money. And you know, yes, it's the castle. You have to eat in there. Why wouldn't you? That's an incredible experience. Usually in the before times, there's lots of princesses in there. And so that's another reason why you're paying the big bucks. But I, I feel like personally, you've been there once, you know, why, why, do that to your, why do that to your bank account again? What are some of the great things? What are some places that maybe get overlooked at Disney World? And, and I know that you cover other, other Disney properties besides Disney World, but since this is a sure. food podcast, that's what we're talking about today. So what yeah, else, where, where do you go? Tell me about your family and where you guys go when you go to Disney World. I don't take my family to Disney World that often because um, <laughs> when I go to Disney World, I work and I eat, you know, 17 meals a day. And, you know, I just I just go, go, go. So I don't actually take my family there too often. But when we do go, the only consistent thing about Disney restaurants is that they're inconsistent. So and I say that all the time on my YouTube channel, they change out their chefs, they change out their staff, they change out their menus so much that it's almost like it's a different restaurant each time you go. And so when people say to me, what are the good places to go? What are the bad places to go? I've got a few that are, you know, relatively consistent. You can rely on them, but really it changes all the time. So every time someone says, what's your favorite restaurant? It's always a different answer. Today, the thing that I'm craving at the moment is the chicken and waffles from the Grand Floridian Cafe, which is a hotel restaurant at the Grand Floridian Resort, which is their flagship hotel. But the Grand Floridian Cafe is just, you know, kind of a hotel restaurant, but it's consistently good. And they've got a great kind of brunch menu every day. So a lot of places in Disney, you can only brunch on the weekends. Here, you've got a brunch menu every day. They have an absolutely phenomenal chicken and waffles, which is a cornflake crusted chicken with a hot honey and a Mickey waffle, which is super, super cute, but also delicious. Everybody loves Mickey waffles. So those things together end up being a really, really yummy kind of brunch option. And that's what I'm personally obsessing about because I had it two weeks ago and I want it again. And that's always something that I'm, I really pay attention to is when I want something again, when I want to go back and pay money for that twice, then that means that we need to talk about that. So that was AJ Wolf, owner and executive editor of the Disney Food Blog, who is your guest in episode one of the new season of the Zest Podcast from WUSF Public Media. Uh, Delia, anything else you want to say about your uh, your chat with AJ? She's just very practical. And whether you've been to Disney once or a hundred times, you can learn something from her. So she really takes one for the team, goes to Disney dozens of times a year, and is always there with uh, the latest and greatest. And by the way, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World is this October. So you know they'll be cooking up some good stuff for that. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George, and today I'm talking with Delia Cologne, host of WUSF's food podcast, The Zest. Our conversation continues in just a moment. 
This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today we're talking with Dalia Cologne, host of WUSF's food podcast, The Zest. In the second episode, which uh, drops this week, you travel to the uh, the Wynwood District in Miami. I was there probably about a decade ago, just as Wynwood was on the rise as kind of a, a hip place in Miami to, to go. I was there on a Saturday night for an art crawl, and it was just amazing, all the different warehouses and gallery spaces there. I remember there were a ton of food trucks there as well, and it sounds like there's just a whole food scene now around, uh, around Wynwood. There really is. Wynwood is where all the cool kids hang out in Miami. As you said, it's very artsy, murals everywhere, very Instagrammable. And Zach the Baker, whose real name is Zach Stern, he could be the avatar for the success of uh, Wynwood's food scene. In fact, he is sort of known for um, the logo of his bakery, Zach the Baker. He, he's he got like this long beard in the logo and this hat. He looks almost like a Hasidic Jew when he is in fact a 36-year-old father of two young girls who is a self-described, quote, non-religious Jew. And the, the bakery's claim to fame is that it's a kosher bakery. So why would a non-religious Jew go through the trouble of Owning a kosher bakery, which re- requires, number one, to be closed every Saturday. So that's like the, the top revenue opportunity of the week. And he's already giving that up. Um, he's got to hire someone to supervise that all of the, the kosher uh, proceedings. All the greens have to be washed and triple checked that there are no bugs. I mean, I hope every restaurant's greens have no bugs in them, but they have to be absolutely sure using certified kosher ingredients. Why would he go through all that trouble? Well, he did it for love, of course. So he grew up in the suburbs of Miami, uh, you know, just celebrating Hanukkah and had a bar mitzvah, but not really attending, you know, regular services. And then he fell in love with an Israeli woman who said, well, you have to make your bakery kosher so I can eat there. So it is now just one of those spots you have to hit when you're in Wynwood. They've got um, 350 kilograms of sourdough mother going at any given time. And for those who uh, picked up the sourdough baking trend during the pandemic, you know that is a lot of sourdough bread that they are baking, a lot of challah. They're supplying uh, baked goods to a lot of Miami hotels and restaurants. And, And Zach actually recently shaved off his beard because the bakery is so popular that he wanted to separate himself a little bit from the character now of Zach the Baker. It's it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And he's like, look, I'm just a, a dad. I want to be a good father and husband. Um, he's collaborated with uh, the reggaeton musician Nicky Jam, and he now bakes for his restaurant. So he's really a great representative of Miami and just the spirit of diversity in Miami. He loves that you've got like these uh, conservative Jews lining up with the, you know, Latinx community and just whoever is down in Miami mixing it up all because the baked goods are just to die for. So if you're not in South Florida, you'll just have to make a trip down there because uh, the baked goods really are tasty, but just not, not on a Saturday. Well, he sounds like a fascinating character. So here's a little bit of your uh, conversation with uh, Zach the Baker. Okay, so I have to, I'm going to read you something you wrote on Facebook, and I know you know it, but this is for the people at home, and it, and it speaks to what you were just saying. You wrote, Miami doesn't have hundreds of years of rich history and culture to guide us, 
as we grow from a small city to a large city to a major city. So the question I'm curious about is, what kind of city do we want to become? A replica of NYC, LA, a place where established restaurants open their second or third location, a place where restaurant groups open, quote, concept after concept. So you talked about rolling around in the mud of, of diversity. What kind of city do you want Miami to become? Because you get to help shape it. Yeah, I want Miami just to become a Miami city, a, a city that sprouts out of our soil. You know, I'm not interested in, in saying what it should or shouldn't be. I just want us to, to nourish the soil here and see what sprouts out of our soil that makes it uniquely Miami. Uh, what I'm kind of cautious of is this uh, overly opportunistic kind of outsider approach where they see, oh, Miami, there's so much opportunity. And they come in and they bring their concepts down to Miami and they kind of take advantage of that opportunity. And then we kind of become a strip mall with TJ Maxx, Ross, Marshalls, and Target. You know, the same things you can find anywhere in the U.S. What is it that you're excited to, to come to Miami to, to see and to do that is uniquely Miami that you can't get in New York? You know, what's like the Joe's Stone Crab, the Versailles? What, what is it that makes Miami, Miami? And uh, I'm all about just nurturing that. I don't know what it is exactly, but nurturing our own soil and see what sprouts out of it and giving it the sunlight and energy it needs to grow and become its own culture. Just like New York had a, had a moment to become their own culture, give us, give us the space for us to breathe and grow too. And at the same time, Lisa on Facebook asks, are you opening any stores in Tampa pretty please? <laughs> no, probably not. And it's not because I don't like Tampa, but who's your baker in Tampa? You know, like, well, I don't need to be coming to Tampa and to bring, you know, my, uh, my empire and my authenticity to Tampa. Who, who's your baker? Like, who, who's you? Tampa's Zach the Baker. Uh, and I think uh, Lisa and me and you should be nourishing that because they're going to be speaking the, the language of your community. I don't know, Tampa. You know, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you don't want me in Tampa. Well, we do. But... I think we're great. I really do. I think we're great. But I really like having one location, and I really like saying independent. It means we can stay laser focused on our mission. It means we don't have to be spending all our energy on growth so we can satisfy our investors or, or our finance partners. Uh, I, I like where we are. I, I want us to get uh, better as opposed to just getting bigger. And I also want a life outside of work, right? I've got kids, right? The more we grow, the, the less of a good parent I can be, the less of a good friend I can be, the less of a good son, all these things. And, and so I'm just not so interested in becoming, I'm not becoming, I've been a maniac. I don't want to be a maniac worker my whole life. I'm looking for balance. That was Zach Stern, also known as Zach the Baker, who owns a bakery in Miami's Wynwood neighborhood, speaking with Delia Cologne, host of WUSF's food podcast, The Zest. Delia, it sounds like you have a lot of fun doing this show. I know you do. Um, and you probably learned a lot about food culture in, in Florida over the time that you were first the producer of the show and now that you're the host of it. What, what have you learned about food in Florida that's, that's, uh, that surprised you? Oh, that's such a great question. I really have a deeper appreciation for the diversity of Florida's food scene. Our tagline is citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. 
The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. But it's so much more than just those four things. It's, you know, Jewish food, as we said. It's Korean food, like we talked about. And the history of food in Florida just makes my head want to explode. I mean, we have uh, Dr. Fred Opie back this season. I spoke with him last season about uh, Zora Neale Hurston, one of Florida's favorite daughters, uh, the celebrated author, and how food influenced her writing and how food is woven throughout her writing. This season, we have him back to talk about James Weldon Johnson, the Jacksonville native political figure from the 20th century, who's, I guess, best known for writing Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is a poem and then his brother said it's music and now it's known as the black national anthem but food was a theme in his life as well he was a an ambassador to panama so he had those influences so i've just learned that florida i think florida's food scene is underrated and and doesn't get the respect that it deserves <laughs> actually speaking of which i spoke with a writer from uh, flamingo magazine who talked about how Florida has been snubbed for the James Beard Awards for about a decade. The writer is Eric Barton, and he makes a case. It's almost a, a chicken and egg situation at this point, because if you win a James Beard Award, you get to vote on the future James Beard Awards. But how can you, you know, rally the troops for your state if, you know, New Orleans and Atlanta, which he calls out specifically, are, are just racking them up? That'll be airing uh, later in September, and he makes a pretty good case. I mean, you can never prove something like that, but I think the point is, especially those of us who live here in Florida, we really are sitting on a gold mine, and we should get out and take advantage of that, whether it's hitting up a ghost kitchen or you know, splurging on an expensive restaurant for a special occasion or just using more local ingredients. I mean, I don't think... I, I come from Ohio, and I didn't realize... Just the bounty that was available to us here in Florida, whether you have your own garden or you hit up one of the farmer's markets or the produce stands that are on every corner or you buy watermelon out of the back of a pickup truck. I couldn't do that in Ohio. So uh, whether you're visiting or you live here, just take advantage of all that Florida food has to offer. Yeah, I think you and I have talked about this before. You know, there's this this assumption, I think, even with people who live here that the food scene isn't great, that it's all chain restaurants. And when I hear that, that just you, you look at the, the 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 history of this state and how it's the crossroads for so many different people from around the world. That that's not the case, right? I mean, there's 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 just all kinds of food, all kinds of food ways, traditions. Um, it's not just growing oranges and fruits and vegetables that get shipped off to other places, right? We have a food culture here, but it sounds like we need to do a better job as Floridians of embracing it and celebrating it. I think that's true. Uh, last season, I spoke with um, the chef of Joe Toro, which is a new restaurant in uh, downtown Tampa. And he's actually from New York. Joe Isidori is his name. And he was singing the praises of Florida food. And I'm thinking if a New Yorker is telling us that we have something they don't, we really need to think about that. So the other new thing that this, you've got this season is you have, uh, you have a producer. You have uh, Andrew Lucas, who's joined your team. Tell me a little bit more about Andrew and what he's brought to the table. For starters, I think listeners will start to notice an improvement in the audio quality. I mean, I'm talking to you on a microphone right now that Andrew recommended I get. He comes from Minnesota. He has a background in all things audio production. I think he's a self-described audio geek. 
and he's he's really been working to fine-tune those interviews. Uh, he edits the interviews. You'll be hearing him conducting some interviews later this season, which I'm excited about, because he's looking at it through a different lens as someone who's been here uh, about a year, I think. So that's super exciting. And it's great to have someone personally to bounce ideas off of after a year of like recording this podcast from my closet <laughs> with just my cocker spaniel. But Andrew is also an amazing cook. So he cooks most of the meals for his family. He's got all the fancy gadgets. I'm going to out him. We're both vegetarians. He did not want us to know that when he was interviewing for the job, which I think is hilarious. But um, don't worry, carnivores, we, we still have love for you and we'll cover all the meats that Florida has to offer. When, I, when I'm conducting interviews, I kind of have him as my head. People a lot of times uh, in podcasting will ask, who's your ideal listener or who's sort of the person you have in mind to listen. And I think it's probably someone like Andrew. He's an amazing home cook. He's not a professional chef. You know, he's got kids. He's got other interests. He's probably listening while he makes dinner or, you know, is driving around town or something like that. So I think listeners are going to uh, love him as much as we do. Speaking of listeners, what what kind of feedback have you gotten from uh, from people who listen to the Zest? Have they suggested anything to you that that's ended up being an interview or an episode? We have actually. I get feedback from listeners who say they listen while they're cooking dinner, which I love that I get to be their companion. You know, I think that's that's exactly the type of relationship we want with our listeners. A lot of people will suggest specific restaurants, which may or may not work because. The podcast is about so much more than just eating at a particular restaurant. Um, it's about appreciating and learning about Florida's food culture, as we were just discussing. And people may never eat at these restaurants. They may never, you know, go to the website and make the recipes, although we have a, a nice treasure trove of recipes on the website. But it's just a way to uh, feel like you're a part of a bigger community. So I always love hearing from listeners. And I actually heard from a listener who was also a guest last season from UF IFAS, the University of Florida's Agricultural Extension Program. Um, and she said she follows someone on Instagram named Lauren Gay, who's better known as the Outdoorsy Diva. And at first I thought, well, what does that have to do with the food podcast? But everyone eats. So I can talk to anyone about food, right? So I recently spoke with Lauren Gay and she was amazing. She's based in Valrico and she was a single mom looking for inexpensive things to do with her son. And they just started doing, you know, hiking and kayaking trips and they're an African-American family. She said, I don't see a lot of people who look like me when I'm out on these trips. So I'm going to start promoting nature, you know, for uh, single women, for single travelers, for families of color. And so she now has a super popular platform called Outdoorsy Diva. You can follow her on Instagram. She always wears amazing clothes, by the way, which is like, that is not what I'm wearing when I'm out <laughs> roughing it. But she looks like a, you know, supermodel with like these beautiful backdrops of, you know, rainbow springs. And we talked about what she eats when she's traveling outside. All right. I think that's it for my questions. Anything else you want to say to wrap up? Well, we're just really excited about season four of The Zest. Happy to have our new producer, Andrew, on board. And you can listen and subscribe at thezestpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review 
the podcast because that helps other listeners to find us. Dalia, it was fun talking to you. This season of The Zest sounds amazing. Can't wait to hear everything. Thank you so much. Thank you. You might need to get a snack now. <laughs> that was Dalia Cologne, host of The Zest. You can listen to season four at thezestpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll join us again next week. 